0: You're listening to the ESO Network. Your station
1: for all things
2: geek. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and we are being joined tonight by Ashley Pauls later, and we are choosing a classic film that she has not seen yet. And I think we're going to be making that a regular part of our series on the show. Um, we're going to be talking about, you know, classic films and each one of us is going to choose a film that we haven't seen. And it's going to be between me, Mike and Ashley. And we probably do it like once a quarter or something. I think it'll be a ton of fun to do. And it's going to be a great topic because this time Ashley picked Moonstruck. That's right. The share movie featuring Nicholas Cage and Oh, great cast. Great, great cast. And it's probably been at least 20 years since I've seen this film. And it was a ton of fun. And, you know, I had Judy sitting next to me the whole time quoting the movie and talk, you know, doing the lines with it and everything. It's one of her favorites. So it's going to be very interesting to hear what Ashley has to say about it tonight. And the man who, you know, looks at the moon and just starts howling is my co-host, as always, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. So, how did you do on this film? It was your first time it, also.
3: It was my first time seeing it too. Yeah, it kind of snuck by me uh in 1987 um, cuz it is um uh 35 years old, right? Yeah. Uh, woo. Yeah. So, um so yeah, um and uh it it was one of those movies that made quite an impact when it came out. Uh won multiple Oscars uh was uh a box office hit and as you said with uh judy i mean a lot of people know this movie like the back of their hand it, it was out it was everywhere and um it just was not one that uh hit my radar at the time um and uh it was kind of nice to that ashley chose this because um you know we don't we don't do romantic comedies very often <laughs> so uh that's uh this is a new experience for all of us i think
2: it's pretty awesome. It's going to be neat to actually, you know, talk all about this and also the impact on these actors' careers because Nicolas Cage was still a fairly young actor at this time, and Cher had only done a couple films at this point. So it's going to be it's very interesting to see and everything. But we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. What did you guys think? Of course, we want to hear feedback at EarthStation1.com. If you want to write us, we would definitely love to hear from you guys. And also, if you get a chance, please give our podcast a rating wherever fine podcasts are found. Five stars would be really appreciated. And if you don't like us, give us six just for the hell of it. So, you know, it's a a way of, you know, showing a sign of authority going, hey, F EarthStation1, we're going to give you six stars. So, you know, it's a good thing. So, of course, we also want to do a big shout-out to our friends over at Tofosi Optical. Tofosi Optical has an amazing pair of sunglasses, of gamer glasses, of, you know, blue light blocking glasses, of all kinds of glasses you could think of. And you know what the cool thing is? They even have prescription glasses now, folks. You can get really cool designer prescription glasses there for very affordable prices. And you know what? Just send them to TifosiOptics.com. It's pretty awesome. And as a way of saying thank you, you know what, folks, 10% off your order. Just put it in the code EarthStation1, and you get 10% off your whole order. Not just one, but your whole order. It's pretty cool. So check it out, TifosiOptics.com, for your sunglasses or glasses needs. Check it out, folks. And now we're here with new friend of the show, author Kristen Stovall. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Welcome
3: to the station. Uh, For those people who may not be familiar with uh, your work, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do.
4: Well, I write mostly high fantasy, but I also have a sort of Victorian historical fantasy series out as well. Basically, I just come up with stories and then live in my imagination.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Were you uh, always attracted to fantastical tales from a young age?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember my mother reading The Hobbit to me when I was just like in early grade school, and I grew up in Kansas, so of course The Wizard of Oz. Sure, sure. It's my bread and butter.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But reading, reading uh, Hobbit—that's like hardcore. Well, yeah, that's 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 a little bit more than just like the the standard. Like Peter Pan or or Wizard yeah. of Oz or that kind of thing, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I definitely kind of skipped a lot of kids' books and went straight <laughs> into like, I want the chapter books. <laughs> gotcha. That's pretty so-
2: awesome because it's a great series to start with and everything. It is, you know, because yeah. like when I was growing up, when I was little, you know, my parents started me with The Hobbit, but they made me wait yeah. a couple of years until I, they said, "Oh, wait, wait till you're in junior high for Lord of the Rings" and everything.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think I was first, second grade when my mom read it to me as a little girl and absolutely loved The Hobbit. And then I did wait until I was older for Lord of the Rings because I was sort of annoyed that it was a new Hobbit and not Bilbo. And now (laughs) I have got over it. I'm good now.
3: (laughs) Awesome. Um, When did you sort of uh, make the decision to start writing fantasy as opposed to just sort of reading it?
4: Well, it's interesting. I actually started out doing theater and wanting to tell stories that way. And and I still love it. In fact, I just went to a show at our local theater and was like, oh, I miss doing this. And through the course of that, as I got into my late teens, early 20s, I realized I really wanted to tell my own stories and not be confined to what someone else wrote so then I kind of started playing around just with like Tolkien fan fiction just just for fun just with some friends and then but I never wanted to write about the main characters I always wanted to pick like obscure secondary characters and (laughs) and then it it graduated to I wanted to make my own characters (laughs) and after that I was like wait a minute maybe I just want to write something that's mine (laughs) and I I started writing for fun and then I ended up meeting a young man and getting married. Uh, ironically, I met him through the community theater and it was wonderful. It, you know, I, we bought a house. We did the wanting to have a family thing. We didn't have any children, but about a year and a half into our marriage after a battle with depression and chronic pain, he ended his life. And I was left not having a clue how to go forward. And it was through that and the grieving process that the, uh, idea and concepts for the first book in my trilogy came to mind and then that turned into a trilogy and then I have the Song of Souls trilogy which is Soul Bound, Soul Fire, and Boundless and I Finished a prequel to it called The Twisted Path, and that came out in December. And then the rest of this year, I put out a, a co-written series with Jennifer Sanders called The Fay Touch Chronicles, which is a completely different universe. So
1: I've been busy.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It made up for lost time for sure. Um, um, and and, and were the, are these, uh, do you have a publisher for these? Are these self-published? Or how do you, how do you uh, get the books out?
4: They're independently published, but I do hire a professional editor and have them edited, and then you know, I it's a, a whole process of self-loathing and glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Absolutely, I have been there, done that. Yes. Yeah, I understand now uh, that that process can be rather painful.
4: Yes, and I and it it's published under my umbrella company of Boundless Fantasy, and we have a few other things that we put out as well, including. Handmade perfumes and stickers and just basically anything to enhance. If you come to a booth at a Comic-Con that I'm at, like I want it to feel like you're at a market in a fantasy realm. So anything that enhances that and just makes it fun for the fantasy lover.
3: Well, it sounds like the the Song of Souls trilogy in particular is one that is uh, very much uh, personal to you, I would say, Right.
1: Yes, uh, obvious,
3: for obvious is. reasons. And um, and what was you know, that process like of sort of channeling that, that sort of everything that you were going through?
4: Well, my husband was well-known in the community, and this is a small town, and his death was uh, rather public. So I found myself grieving in a very public way. It was like going through the worst thing in, like that could happen to me in a fishbowl and writing the books gave me a way to talk about what I was feeling and what I was going through that was safe and had that level of separation the main characters Aislinn and Rory they are not me they are not Dustin uh, the thing there are a few things in common Aislinn is a widow uh, Rory is the spirit of her soulmate after he's passed away and her pet name for him is the same but for the most part, I tried to have a very clear, not us mm. just fantasy thing, because that that's a little too much, little little too up close and personal. Yeah. <laughs> so that you know, it just gave me that ability to work through it, to find purpose in what happened, and to say goodbye. Because when you're twenty eight and you know, you're supposed to have your whole life ahead of you. And then it just gets completely thrown out the window. It, it really just gave me closure, and it gave me that chance to say goodbye. and And then it gave me a sense of purpose and direction. And now I'm just really happy with where my life is.
3: And and the response from readers is 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 something that uh, is is sort of a tool that they can use as well. You think, or?
4: Yeah, I've had a few people. Uh, one. Really memorable interaction was another young widow who reached out to me after I think she'd read the first book and had read my story and she just she reached out to me and needed someone to talk to who'd been there and that was a really impactful moment to know that you know what I had created was helping somebody through what I endured and it was a really humbling and powerful moment and i've had other people who've come forward and said you know this was so great because i could identify with loss and the journey of of working through that and it's it's really a good feeling to know that something that you love doing and that you're passionate about and that helped you is also helping other people
3: absolutely absolutely and and i think i think the best fantasy tales are ones that i mean as fantastic as it can get as and fantastic as you can make the world and the and the characters and the and everything around like the the sort of magic that happens within this the story if it doesn't have that sort of if it's not grounded in heart if it's not grounded in emotion yeah. real emotion i think it it i mean people can sense that right and it's not it's I not something so. that uh yeah that you can sort of put through as an author either right
4: Right. I agree. I mean, I don't know that I can say that's true of every fantasy author that's ever written a really good fantasy story. But I, I do think that it does show that the stories like that, there's there's something different to them. And, you know, maybe that's just my perception of them, but it, it does feel like there's just a level of depth that you don't always get in a book.
3: So the the Song of Souls trilogy you said was released, and then and then you released another sort of chapter in that, the Twisted Path, right? Is that part of that uh, sort of an extra chapter or an addition? Are you are you planning on still uh, playing around in this world? Uh,
4: the Twisted Path is a prequel that takes place about two hundred years before the trilogy, and it's gotcha. a prequel in yeah in a similar way to The Hobbit is a prequel to Lord of the Rings, and that there are connections and. And there are things that do sort of follow through, but they're not necessarily like a complete, you know, full stop sequel because Bilbo's story is very much Bilbo's story. There's just elements that carry through later on. And that's the same with The Twisted Path. These characters' stories is very much their story, but it does impact what happens in the trilogy. And I am planning on returning to that world, but visiting it. Shortly after the end of the trilogy and with a new set of characters, though maybe a few of the gotcha. old friends might pop in for a cameo or two.
3: I, I was thinking when you said prequel, I was like, well, you know, prequels on fantasy tales are are kind of a thing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, are, we are experiencing a, a quite a bit of that right now uh, yeah. in uh, pop culture, yeah. right? Oh, um, yeah.
4: <laughs> I was a little hesitant to jump on the bandwagon, but I actually knew like the broad strokes of this story and these characters back when I started the trilogy. And in order to carry on with the story and the characters and location, I want to, after the trilogy, I needed to go back and actually establish these things. There was no room for them to fit organically in the trilogy, but they did need to be introduced.
3: (laughs) and uh and for the the series that you're writing with uh jennifer sanders how is that how is it writing with someone else writing with a partner is that got its own set of challenges
4: it does uh we're very lucky in that we've known each other for like 20 plus years at this point so and on and off throughout that time we've written together just for fun she was actually somebody who was present during my formative years as I was figuring out how to put a story together and write she so she's always been there and she knows me and she knows my writing style we actually completed that series in May of this year so the Fay Touch Chronicles is a four book series that is completely out now and it takes place wow. in Victorian Scotland and England but the, the challenge is Totally got off on a tangent there. Uh (laughs) The challenges are more when I write by myself, I keep business hours and I, I have like word counts that I try to hit. And when I'm writing with someone else, you know, she has a family and a day job and I have to be able to accommodate that. So the scheduling is different. And, you know, I also have to be open to her vision of these characters and the story, and when you're used to writing by yourself, that can be a little hard sometimes, but mm-hmm. like I said, we have a long standing friendship, so we're able to to work through it and find what works for both of us and it's a lot of fun
3: awesome The awesome. social
4: element to it we actually <laughs> we don't write together in the way many writers do where they'll write sections or scenes, what we do is we write characters. So if I'm writing the male lead, she'll write the female lead and then they'll have conversations back and forth. And I won't necessarily know what her character is going to say to what my character just said or did. And so there's like a role play element to it. But I mean, we always know like what needs to happen and where we need to go. It's just, we don't necessarily know the details of how we get there. <laughs> gotcha.
3: Gotcha. And in addition to these two uh, fantastical universes, um, are you planning on on expanding and, and writing something else with that, outside of these?
4: Uh, yes, actually. I think probably... At the beginning of next month, Jennifer and I will be starting a new trilogy that will be taking place. Oh. Uh, it sort of follows Robin Hood's daughter, and we got our—we have our own little magical twist on what's going on and medieval history and all of that. So, and we're both Robin Hood fans. So it's just gotcha, to play gotcha. with.
3: <laughs> So, in addition to like you know, whereas uh, uh, sort of the pure fantasy, you can make up that world yourself, but then. Uh, these other tales it sounds like it requires a little bit of a little bit of research right
4: yeah yeah these other ones uh the ones i've written with her so far have all taken place you know at some point in history in this world we just then add elements of magic and different things that you know we think would be fun and have a different take on a historical period or you know folklore so but yeah, definitely some research um I like writing when it's a completely made up world and I can make the rules, but I do enjoy the challenge of having to work within a little bit more the like the confines of reality and history. So it's, it's Mm. good to stretch the muscles.
3: They uh the, the covers make them appear that there's uh, a lot of uh, romance involved. Is that fair?
4: <laughs> yeah, the Fae Touch Chronicles definitely have a lot of romance, but they also have a lot of action and adventure and some mystery. The first one, Seer's Choice, I would say is the most clear-cut romance following a lot of those, you know, um, just sort of that format. Although we also have mystery and all of that it sort of sets up and builds the world and the the different concepts and a lot of it doesn't actually get resolved until the end of the second book Hmm. so those two are the most that are closely linked they actually follow four uh schoolmates these are four leading men who were friends growing up in a boarding school so each book follows each one of their stories
3: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it sounds very exciting. Um, Any other, uh, before we sort of get into the, uh, the geek seat and find out uh, (laughs) what you're passionate about, where your real passions lie, any other projects that you want to let us know about? Well, no. I mean it I sounds like you're told busy. You enough. What I'm
4: working like, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
3: it sounds like you're more than busy enough. So Yeah, I've been uh, hitting
4: the con circuits on and off as well. And,
3: awesome. Awesome. Uh,
4: I've had a little bit of a lull where I've been able to catch my breath these last few weeks. So I've been letting myself because I needed it. I've put out five books since December. I'm a little tired. <laughs> That's
3: that is crazy. That is crazy. But <laughs> congratulations you. on that. That is impressive you. in and of itself. Um, uh, Mike, I, I think she's ready. I think we're ready to find out where her <laughs> passions lie.
2: Oh, this is going to be interesting. All right. I'm ready. for this. <laughs>
4: Let's go. All right,
2: Kristen, are you ready for your first question in the geek seat? Hit me. Oh, well, you got it. <laughs> Kristen, what was your favorite geek out moment?
4: Meeting Billy Boyd in Chicago.
2: Awesome. You tell us all about it.
4: I went to Wizard Con in Chicago uh, with some friends, one of whom cosplays. Uh, Scarlet Witch so she convinced me to cosplay Black Widow and I got to meet Billy Boyd because he's my favorite Hobbit got a great photo op with him and when I was in line to get his autograph it was before a bunch of people had showed up to line up yet so we got to sit and talk with him for a little while I had this little pewter pen that says it comes in pints which is my favorite Pippin line and he looked up and he goes oh I quite like that (laughs) I was like oh thank you I had it made and in my head I was going I'm not giving it to you. (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh that is awesome let's look at the flip side of that though what was your most disappointing geek out moment
4: um gosh the end of game of thrones (laughs) you're not the only
2: one you're totally not the only one I know. (laughs) funny as heck but you're not the only one with that
4: no i mean that's just the one that flew off the top of my head i I can't you, think of You anything
2: had no more problem with right You now. just went bap. You're ready for that.
4: <laughs> that was the easy one. <laughs>
2: they get harder as they go on. I'm just warning you. Okay. All right. What, what geeks you out the most?
4: Ooh. Gosh. Anything that involves me getting to like wear a costume or men with swords.
2: Gotcha. <laughs> so if they're in costume and they weren't have swords with them, it's even more so.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. major swooning, okay,
2: and now, if they're in a kilt, watch out, you know,
4: you know, I'm more of an armor person, but if they're on a horse, watch out, you know, okay. okay.
2: <laughs> what turns your geek off
4: politics, <laughs>
2: welcome to the club. Amongst yeah. friends here.
4: Anytime a show or book tries to preach to me, I'm like, I want escapism, not lessons.
2: <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> what fictional character would you like to meet the most?
4: Ooh, what fictional character would I like to meet the most? God, there's a lot of them, honestly. And I would like to like be in a room with any one of my characters, like actually get to talk to them. No. Not any one of them. Some of them I'm really mean to. So not those ones, because they'd be mad.
2: (laughs) Oh, you're the creator. Hold on. We need to talk there. Uh,
4: You're the one who came up with that.
2: Maybe? We need need to have a talk, young lady. (laughs) What fictional character would you like to meet the least? Or does that tie into the last one we just talked about? But I like
4: to meet the least? Um sauron that would not be good like big flamey eyeball i just feel like there's no way that meeting's gonna be comfortable
2: no no he would see right (laughs) through you it's pretty (laughs) obvious
4: exactly
2: what is your favorite geek word phrase quote or pose
4: it comes in pints (laughs) sounds familiar (laughs) or may the force be with you i mean that's a, a classic
2: that is a classic I like the other one, too, though.
4: Yeah, because that's a great... That just is applicable to so much in life, you know?
2: (laughs) You know Billy Boyd is somewhere now going, I should have gotten that pen. I should have gotten that pen.
4: (laughs) Yeah, he lives with regret because I didn't give him the pen.
2: (laughs) What is your ideal geek occupation?
4: Uh, Being a writer. And I do that, so it's fine. You're living the dream. (laughs) <laughs>
2: what geek occupation would you not like to do though
4: Oof, what would i not like to do um i don't think that i would want to like i don't know so many of them are appealing <laughs> True. um Well, if we're going to go with, like, some sort of fantasy geek occupation, I think there's some jobs, like, on the Enterprise that I wouldn't want, that I feel like would just be boring. Like, imagine if you're the transporter chief. Like, there's just nothing to do until someone needs to transport. That'd be so boring.
2: You're dusting (laughs) the machine to make sure it's ready. (laughs)
4: Exactly.
2: (laughs) Or it's like, ooh, maybe I could... You know, beam a meteorite over here. Or maybe I could do that. Yeah,
4: I would end up doing things with the transporter that would just be stupid. You know, <laughs> one of the captains <laughs> would walk in. Why are there 15,000 of those? Those, they look like tribbles, but I think maybe they're off-brand tribbles. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, they were cuddly.
2: <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, hold on, they started with one captain. I just, they just kept on multiplying.
4: <laughs> Oops. Oops.
2: All right, Kristen, are you ready for your final question in the geek scene? I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. This is for all your marbles, so you ready for this? What is your ultimate geek fantasy?
4: My ultimate geek fantasy would be to go into the Lord of the Rings and live with the elves in Rivendell.
2: Wow. You did not hesitate. This is no. awesome.
1: <laughs> this is
2: awesome. You know, most people, it's like, oh, that's a hard one. I've got to think. You are just like, bam. This is awesome.
4: I know what I like. Elves.
2: Elves. Well, Kristen Stovall, I've got some great news for you. You've made it through the Geek Seek. Congratulations. Yes, <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young lady what she's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO
3: Network, a value easily worth $64.08. Hey,
2: we've grown up. <laughs> Yay! (laughs) but the bad thing is it's only in station money it's not real
4: Uh, oh well that's okay i play slow tour and i have lots and lots of credits in that game so
3: (laughs) (laughs) um it has been great to chat with you where can people go to find out more about what you're doing in your books and how they can get them
4: The very best place to go would be the Boundless Fantasy page on Facebook. I am the best at updating that and keeping it going. That's the first place I'll I'll make announcements. They can also follow my personal Facebook account, which is Kristen Stovall. I have a website, Boundless Fantasy Books. I am grudgingly on Twitter and TikTok, and I like Instagram and Pretty much you can just look for my name on all of those.
3: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will have the links for those in our show notes. So people can just click on those things and check it, check out your books and, and, and buy a few, right?
4: Yeah. Fingers crossed. I (laughs) I think they'll like them. So
3: I think, I think so too. I think so too. (laughs) Um, uh, You've definitely sold me. So um, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me. It was a good time.
2: Awesome. Let's take a quick break, and we are going to be back in a moment, and we are going to be looking at the movie. Ready for this? Moonstruck!
4: Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys.
1: Almost 12 years old. Davy Jones was it for me.
4: (laughs) I was having problems (laughs) dancing and tambourining. I got overzealous (laughs) and overly excited.
2: (laughs) Like, we've had our own little version of Monkey Mania 50
3: years later, which is just crazy.
4: Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com.
1: The moon brings the woman to the man. Capisce?
2: The moon is a little like love. Will you marry me?
1: I will marry you. I will be your wife.
2: you love him, Loretta? No. Good. When you love him, they drive you crazy. Sometimes.
5: Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool.
2: It makes you act a little crazy.
5: Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me. Isn't it romantic? You got a love bite on your neck. Your life's going down the toilet. You'll have your eyes open for you, my friend. I have my eyes open. I'll say no more. You haven't said anything. I la luna. You ruined my life. That's impossible. You ruined my life. Look. It's
2: Cosmo's moon.
5: Why do men chase women? Nerves? I don't want to talk about it. That moon. That crazy moon. Now you don't i love you what snap out of it i'm
2: confused they say there's nothing new under the sun
1: wait a minute wait a minute
2: but under the moon that's another story
5: you love him loretta no i love him awful
3: oh god that's too bad
5: share nicholas cage in a Norman Jewison film,
1: you, eh? Moonstruck.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to our station one and we are here now for the main topic and we are looking at the 1987 film Moonstruck. Actually, this was your pick. Let's find out why.
1: Yes. So, um, for my classic movie pick this year, I wanted to pick a movie that was turning the same age as I am. I thought that would be kind of a fun milestone to look at a movie that came out the year that I was born that I hadn't seen yet. And so I had a short list of items, but the reason I settled on Moonstruck was because one, it's easy to access you. If you have HBO Max, you can get on there and watch it. So it's an easy classic to go back and discover. I am also endlessly fascinated by Nicolas Cage. I think he's really intriguing as a performer. He's done some great stuff and he's also picked some absolutely garbage roles. I just think he's fascinating. So I was intrigued by the way. This is a movie... With Nicolas Cage. And I also enjoy classic rom coms. I feel like uh, the romantic comedy is a little bit of a dying art. I know there's a lot of the kind of, you know, the holiday romance movies and Hallmark and whatnot, but I feel like the wide appeal rom com is something that we don't see as much these days, at least in the theater. So I thought it would be fun to go back and see what this movie was all about.
3: All right. Well, it's my first time, and this is the first time you've seen it.
1: Yes, yep. Had never seen it before.
3: So it's the first time I've seen it as well. Now, this is also one of those movies that kind of got caught up in Oscar fever. Uh, It was released in December 18th of 1987, but that was only limited theatrical release so it could qualify for the Oscars. It wasn't released nationally to everybody until January 15th, 1988, but it's still considered an 87 movie. So it is still the 35 year rule there. Uh, so we are, uh, celebrating 35 years of Moonstruck. Um, I will talk about the box office because it was quite a success. Uh, the film finished third when it was f- wide release, uh, but it spent 20 con- non-consecutive weeks in the top 10 wow. and finally grossed over $80 million. Uh, if you round it up, it's $81 million really. um, considering that in the worldwide total i'm sorry was 1 uh, 122.1 million now the budget of this movie was 15 million so this was a huge success uh internationally locally um or i should say domestically um critically it was huge as well uh, back in the day, this is when uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert were talking about movies every week, and they loved this movie. Um, the Cinema Score gave this an A minus. Um, the um, film historian, uh, Letter Malton, gave it four out of five stars. Uh, Roger Ebert uh, added this film among his great movies list, and you'll find this movie is on a lot of people's lists for best movies of all time, best comedies of all time, best romance romantic comedies of all time i think it's even on that list uh that book of like 100 or sorry 1001 movies you should see before you die or something like that um so and it received tons of oscar nominations and golden globe too we don't really talk about the golden globes anymore but uh, (laughs) but the the, uh, oscars yes um and it won three uh, one for Cher, one for Olympia Dukakis for Best Supporting Actress, and one for Best Original Screenplay. Um, so, by every sense of the word, this movie was a success. Um, except maybe from like, let's see what we think, right? Like Ashley. So, so knowing all of this going in, uh, I'm not sure exactly how much you are aware of the plot, et cetera, et cetera. But what with with what you did know and expectations wise, what what were you thinking when you watched the movie and overall did were you satisfied by it?
1: Yeah, so I didn't know a whole lot about the movie beyond that it starred Nicolas Cage and Cher and was a, a romantic comedy. But one of the things that I ended up really liking about it was that the larger story of these close knit Italian families and how the interplay between them. It's not just a relationship about these two people. You have their families and their own drama going on on top of that. So I thought that added some nice layers to just the love story between the central characters. And this was just kind of a nice, cozy, feel-good movie. After watching it, um, I don't know that I would necessarily have gone like, oh, wow, this is going to be an Oscar winner or something like that. But... I just found myself really enjoying it. It was fun to see the characters. I liked the setting, just watching the story play out. And it just kind of gave me a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling after I watch it. Um, I can always kind of tell how much a movie is drawing me in because sometimes as I'm sitting downstairs, I'll work on a little craft, a little crochet or something like that. But this movie, I just watched all the way through. So it held my attention and it was a lot of fun. So. Gave, gave me a nice feeling afterwards.
3: <laughs> uh, Mike, what about you? What what were your thoughts when you originally saw it? And have you watched it since? And and, and watching it again, uh, did you get more out of it or less? Or how were your feelings about it?
2: It's interesting because I didn't watch this when it was at the theaters. I probably watched it on cable when it came out, like HBO or Showtime or which one of those. And, you know, it was It was an okay movie for me. Like Ashley said, I wouldn't have at the time thought it was an Oscar movie and everything. The performances were great. Don't get me wrong. And each one of them um, did fit their roles. It felt like you were just literally opening a window and looking into their lives. And I think that's what they wanted with it. And watching it again now, 35 years later, It's real interesting for me because there's a big difference between Mike at 20 and Mike at 55. You know, it's a huge, huge difference. And you know what? It's very neat to see that, you know, it has a different point in my life and everything. Now I'm almost seeing this, oh, I've been there. I've done that, you know, type thing. Or oh you know yeah I've gone you know been committed to somebody else but you know gone met somebody else Yeah, you know, I've, I've done that gone know. to the opera with someone yeah well, <laughs> if that's what you want to call it sure hey,
3: symbolism is always
2: good with me and but it was but it was interesting too because this time I watched it with Judy and it's one of her favorite films. And literally seeing her squeal at different points and laugh her butt off at others and then also watching it and hearing – watching her quote along with it is just amazing. And I think that almost gave me more pleasure than anything with this movie. So it was just real interesting.
3: Yeah. Um I was uh I didn't know what to expect. I mean I kinda had thoughts about this movie. Like, you know, obviously I was aware of it, especially when the it received all these awards. I kind of remember Oscar season and uh they were the buzz of the uh the season and they were getting these awards I'd see clips, you know, and obviously the the scene where uh you know it's one of the most famous film slaps in 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 history uh snap you know. out of it exactly exactly she really looks like she decks him too um uh but i wonder uh, how many reshoots <laughs> they had to do for exactly that one. Right. <laughs> like maybe there's a reason nicholas cage is the way no just kidding um uh, <laughs> um but uh but i hadn't seen it so i didn't really know so this was unexpected like the the actual story itself and the way it plays out I was very surprised by, I did not um, know what the exact plot was. I didn't know what shares shares character was going in. And I was very interested to, to watch that, watch things unfold the way they did. Um, It's a very much a product of its time. Um, And so I think it holds up pretty well, but yet it does it is set in the 80s and it's pretty clear that it's set in the 80s uh it has a lot of uh you know fashion uh from the 80s as well as as uh i don't want to say morals but like sort of things that you don't see much anymore as you pointed out ashley you, you don't see movies like this anymore uh much anymore um for whatever reason and i don't i'm not saying it's a bad thing i mean i do like a good romantic comedy i've seen many uh, classic ones uh, that were done in the 40s, 50s, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't opposed to seeing romantic comedies at the time. I don't know why. Like I said, I don't know how this one escaped me because I there's nothing in this that I overtly don't like. Um, but watching it, I found it, I found it pleasant. Um, I wasn't blown over like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's so hilarious. But I did get the sense that I think both of you talked about this sense of family, this sense that, you know, it takes place in Brooklyn and I know it was filmed in Toronto and everything, but it still feels like a New York story. Mm -hmm. Uh, and around the 80s there were a lot of movies that were new york stories uh there was a lot of popular filmmakers that were coming out that were making these movies that were set in new york and this is and 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 with different you know whether it's the italian community or the jewish community or other types of you know boroughs that are in new york um i mean i think you could you could make a map of new york based on all the 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 the
2: the movies oh, that were very made much there. so. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing with this story is the characters, how they're portrayed and everything. They could be any ethnicity too. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, yeah. they could yes. be a Greek family. They could be a Jewish family. They could be yeah. the Italians. It could even be Asian. It could be, you know, whichever it doesn't matter. It, it worked in that kind way. of transcends that, right? Exactly. Yeah. It does yeah. completely. And it, it hits on all the different generation levels too, which also made it so so special. And, you know, and it captured that, you know, and it, it doesn't do much for fidelity. I will tell you. (laughs) Well,
3: like I said, it's a film kind of of the eighties, right? I mean, the eighties was kind of not all about that. Right. Like there was a lot of like, um, you know, uh Go to bed first and deal with the consequences later, you know, like that, that kind of thing.
2: Depends, um, depends when in the 80s, because you know, this was already, you know, from the story point, and this, yes, you're completely right, but you know, this is right before the hit right. of the AIDS scare, and yes. you know, and the whole thing like that, because you had during the 70s, you know, you had anything goes. And everything, but this was already nineteen. This was filmed in eighty six, eighty seven, right? Which is so,
3: just on that eve of that, right? Exactly. Where it's yeah. Um, all right, let's uh let's talk about Cher. Uh, I don't know that we've ever talked about Cher in our twelve years doing Earth Station One. We might have um, talked about
2: her on one of the music ones or one of the sound.
3: Possibly. Ones. I mean, she's obviously she's a music icon. Uh, most people know her for her music. Uh but back then, uh the end of the 70s, early 80s, her her music wasn't really doing like doing very well. Um, her music career wasn't doing well. So she switched over to do more acting and she was really serious about it. She went to uh school with Lee Strasberg. Um, and one of the first uh movies that she did in the early 80s was Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which if you've ever seen that movie, it's an incredible incredible performance art piece it's really really solid I do recommend that that one uh I do remember watching uh back when it came out and it was I was stunned it's an amazing movie Um, another
2: another great one right around this time
3: period was with her in witches um well actually um Silkwood is 83 and then she does Mask in 85 and then 87 is her big year like, she does three movies. She has three movies that comes out in 87. Suspect, Witches of Eastwick, and then the end, The last of the, in 87, is this movie. So, in this movie, it really, like, catapults her. I think she was already being taken seriously as an actress, because in Mask, I think she was up for an Academy Award. She was. Um, Silkwood, she was up for an Academy Award. I mean, she... She won over a lot of people. So she was very much in the driver's seat when it came to doing movies. Um, she had um, yes or no. Um, I know that uh, uh, reading the um, bios of this movie uh, or the history of this movie, I know that uh, she really wanted Nicolas Cage and the studio did not want Nic- Nicolas Cage. And we'll talk about him in a minute. But but she said she would, she would not do this movie if Nicolas Cage wasn't cast. And so there he was. Um, so let's talk about Cher as a as an actress and as a persona. Um, I, I will say she's got a presence. I mean, when she's on screen, um, you know, it's it's hard to ignore her. I think she does a great job here first at dressing down and playing like a sort of like average if you could dare call Cher average, <laughs> like a, an average care, like a sort of a uh, a working class sort of role when she's doing the accounting and everything like that. Um, you know, it turns out later on that when they go to the opera that her and Nicholas Cage both clean up. Well, who knew? No, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I know. but uh, Ashley, what, what do you think of uh, Cher as a whole? And have you experienced many of her acting roles
1: before yeah, I think this might be my first time seeing her in an acting role. And so I was curious to kind of see how that would work out because I feel sometimes people who are known for their music who try to cross over into acting or vice versa, it doesn't always translate super well. But I thought she did a great job as the as a performance. And just like you said, when you hear the name Cher, you think of this very glamorous, larger-than-life kind of persona. I mean, she's one of those artists that is known only by one name, like Cher Madonna and so on. But (laughs) I thought she did a really good job dialing it back and seeming like this relatable person who's had, you know, hard luck in life. And she's, you know, not necessarily excited about the future. She's just trying to look for something that will set her up and be comfortable, not really necessarily confident in herself. And I think that, takes a lot of talent to play somebody that would be so opposite from your uh, stage persona. I thought she was really compelling character, was really rooting for her. She was relatable. And yeah, because of this, I would go seek out other performances that she's been now just because I was impressed in this, of her in this role.
3: It's funny. She's forty-one in this when she does this movie. She actually is forty-one, which makes her only fifteen uh, years younger than Olympia Dukakis, who's playing her do- her her mother. Um, and she's eighteen years older than Nicolas Cage. Really? Um, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, she does not um,
3: look it. No, I don't think she. I mean, she. You do not. I. Do, this does not seem like a December. What do they call that? A December. Maybe December summer? romance. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, uh, one of those romances at all. It seems like they're pretty much of the similar age. Not, I mean, it, you get the impression that Cher's character is a little bit older, but not that much. Right. Um, But Mike, I know that probably for you, like me, we're introduced by Cher with Sonny, Of course. And she's with Sonny for like, even after that show ends, even after they divorce or whatever, she can't, she can't. Like, everybody links her with Sunny, Sunny, Sunny. It's not until she does this sort of acting stuff in the 80s that she really starts to separate herself, right? Yes
2: and no. In the 70s, she did have a string of, you know, number one hits on her own. And, you know, like, you know, tramps, gypsies, tramps, and thieves, and, you know, other ones that she did, and... Then I also remember the romance she had with Gene Simmons and the romance she had with Greg Allman and stuff like that. But, you know, movie-wise, you know, it's always, you know... For me, it was Sonny and Cher, but then they broke up. She did her thing. He, he became a very weird senator. <laughs> and then, sadly, he passed away skiing, of all things. Mm. And, you know, with... Cher was always interesting, you know. And, you know, I think of her more as an actress now than I do think of her as a singer, which is yeah very I, interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I was thinking that, too, when I was watching this, too. I'm like, you know, I almost think of her first acting-wise um than I do. Not to say that her music is not – she hasn't – I mean, she's made a lot of hits. Um And sort of after her success with the movies in the 80s, then she catapulted, she did another album and that's where she did, you know, she comes out in a couple of years from now, she comes out with Heart of Stone, that album, which is her 19th studio album, which is amazing. Um, and then she comes out, if I could turn back time and then boom, she's back to music. <laughs> she's back to music full time and, uh, and then only, uh, you know, doing the acting uh, stuff uh, ever since. So this was really like the key point where she's like doing a lot of acting here and I think this is one of her best roles. I, I like her and I've seen almost all the other movies. That's funny because I, I was like thinking about it. Like all the other movies that she did then, Silkwood and Witches of Eastwick and Witches of Eastwick and 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 uh, Suspect and everything. And she's really good in those. Uh, but I think this might be. I mean, she carries this pretty much. I mean, it's her movie, right?
2: Oh, very much so. This is a share film. It's her on the poster. There's nobody else on the poster. It's <laughs> right. not like it's not like her and Nick on the on the front or anything like that. Right. Or her and Olivia Dukakis, you know, it's so it's it's just it's just interesting that, you know, this is her film and everything. And I think out of all the films that she's done, this is the only one that really features her prominently.
3: Yeah, she's done other great things as I mentioned uh mm-hmm. come back to the 5 and die- Come Back to the Five and Dime is one of my favorites that she's in. But that's more of an ensemble piece. Oh, it was Um,
2: interesting, though, too, because recently I was listening to Mark Marin's podcast. And he was interviewing Christina Ritchie. And she was talking about Mermaids, which, you know, was one of her first movies. And that was also a Cher movie. mm -hmm. And she said that Cher, you know, was so kind and so helpful with, you know, Telling her, you know, treating her as an equal, not as just a kid actor. And, you know, you know, this is what's going on with the movie. This is what's going on with the, what the directors are saying, explaining everything to her. And that's that for me, that shows a lot. And it's really awesome. And that also shows what kind of person she is. And everything. Yeah. So, it's, and it's, yeah, it and heard- perfectly into this, what we're talking about tonight.
3: Right. And I've never heard. I mean, despite the fact that she used her pull to get Nicolas Cage cast in this movie, I, I haven't heard anything that suggests that she was bad on set or she pulled the diva act or anything like that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. But I mean, I haven't heard any stories uh, to, con- uh, to to contradict that anyway. So I as far as I know, she ran was,
2: into she share was, once when I was oh, in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah, um, I was on a date, and we were down in, um, where was it, Santa Monica, down at the Third Street Promenade, and there's a couple bars there and really big clubs and everything. And there was this uh, group of people, and there was all these lights around it, and it was actually somebody being filmed, and a camera person. And I was like, oh, wow, that is one of the best-looking share impersonators I've ever seen. <laughs> and because mtv was it was an mtv camera it was a you know cbs camera and you know so, something else vh1 or something and uh my friend turned to me and she said mike i actually think that's share <laughs> that's
1: a great story
2: <laughs> oh it was awesome so.
3: sometimes it's hard to tell oh yeah uh but that is awesome um all right, so let's switch focus over to our uh main man in this movie, uh Nicholas Cage. Now, nicholas Cage also he didn't have a he didn't have a huge music career before this, but in his eighties, in the early eighties, he's just getting started as well. He's uh getting um roles in Fast Times at Richmond High. He's getting roles in Valley Girl, but he's not really making a huge impact. He's getting roles uh in Cotton Club, because I think, you know, his, his uncle pulled some strings, you know, because he's related to uh, the director there, Coppola. Um, but uh, in, in this is like 87, he has three movies that come out, and they're pretty big deal as well. He comes out with uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, Raising Arizona, and Moonstruck. And suddenly, Nicolas Cage is the guy. Um, uh, it's easy to understand when they were making this movie that they didn't know he was the guy and the studio was like, I don't know, but certainly after this, I'm sure they were pretty happy with the fact that, you know, they had Nicolas Cage in this because he had just had two other successes that year. Peggy Sue got married and Raising Arizona, both of which I saw in the theater as well. Somehow I missed "Moonstruck." But um, what do you think of Nicolas Cage in this movie? Uh Ashley, you referred to him as a weirdo. <laughs> I yeah, think.
1: I I say that with affection. I say that with affection. Um, Nicholas Cage is a really quirky guy. And I think when you can channel that energy in the right way, he can turn in a really good performance. And I thought he was a good fit in this role as a character who's, who's also kind of down on his luck. Like he's had this, you know, horrible thing happen to him. His hand gets chopped off basically while baking bread of all things, you know, kind of yeah a horrific thing to happen and that's kind of defined him and he's kind of stuck in a rut but one of the most interesting conversations was when he's talking about like oh my hand and then that led to all these other bad things happening and the loss of his relationship and then Cher kind of turns it around it's like maybe that relationship was bad for you all along and she was just looking for an excuse to leave you or something like that and kind of helps him Hope for the future again, and he kind of does the same for her. So it's interesting to see them keep running into each other and to feel that pull towards each other. And it's fun to see them both kind of get dressed up for the opera because... They strike me as people who who don't, haven't done a lot to necessarily like treat themselves or to go do something big and fancy like that a lot in the past few years. So they kind of inspire a, a fresh spark for life um, between each other. So, yeah, I don't know if I was a casting director, I would have thought necessarily to put Nicolas Cage in a big Hollywood rom-com, but I think he is the right fit after seeing it.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mike, uh, what do you what do you think of uh, Nick in this movie?
2: I enjoyed him a lot more than I remember enjoying him in it the first time I saw it. He annoyed me the first time. <laughs> and but he annoyed me in a lot of things at that time. I hadn't seen by this point I had not seen Raising Arizona, but I had seen Peggy Sue got married and I also had seen of course both Fast Times at Richmond High and of course, Valley Girl a zillion times because I love the music in it and some of the characters in it. It was interesting, too, though, to see him now in this role. And, you know, the first times you see him, you only see him from the back. You don't even get to see yeah. his face. He, he kind of gets a, like, star's
3: entrance, right? Because we don't, we sort of, like, build to see, to the reveal him. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, we don't even... Like he he doesn't even warrant that, but I, we get we, he gets it here.
2: No, exactly, and he acts the heck out of this character. I think he did a great job. You know, he come across as crazy and angry. Billy, don't cut your throat. You know, or you know, and it was just you know, get Ronnie, the knife. please get the, knife. <laughs> get the Ronnie, no, Ronnie, no. <laughs> I've been in love with him for so, long. and it's like. It was just it was just interesting, and it but it was funny, you know, for a guy who seemed so angry at the world and everything. His apartment was strangely very nice and very well kept, and very <laughs> well read, and all the albums and everything. Someone who came across as that mad and angry at the world, I would think you'd have broken things everywhere <laughs> in the apartment, and everything would be tossed everywhere. But you know, but overall, I liked it, and the chemistry between him and Cher was great. I thought they clicked right from the very first scene, and which was awesome, and I enjoyed it. You know, you know, you know, and Judy kept on getting mad because I kept on calling him, "Hey, there's old Woody," you know, with his hand and everything. And hmm. you know, he turned his head for a moment, and his head, went, his hand went into the bread cut slicer. <laughs> it's like, and before I knew it, his hand was gone. It's just like Ew. Ah but oh, yeah gosh. it was it was an interesting character i liked him and you know it was his quirkiness in this and his love for opera was just awesome and what made you know you when i first saw it i thought oh this movie had to take place over a couple of weeks or something but no it was literally over you know, like a weekend, two two days. Yeah. Two or three days. And it was, it was funny as heck and total thumbs up. I really, you know, Nick Cage was fun in this one.
3: Yeah. I think I, uh, I appreciated the fact that he, he sort of acted in this movie and I bought it. He didn't sort of, you know, I think Nicholas Cage kind of just has gotten used to playing Nicholas Cage in Mm -hmm. whatever movie he's in. And he, you get, so you get the same kind of, like Nicolas Cage, like doing this and Nicolas Cage (laughs) doing that. You don't really feel like he's playing a different character. Nicolas Cage doesn't disappear. But in this, I kind of felt like he disappeared. Um, The accent uh, I thought was, was like, it's not his normal way of talking. uh, So I appreciated that. Um, It was sort of smooth. And, and, uh, and even though he was, he was crazy, and full of rage, at least when we first meet him, that kind of disappears a little bit. I mean, we still see echoes of it, but but I mean, you can't have a romantic comedy if he's just going to be full of rage. Right. And yeah. and be do crazy stuff. So, um, you know, he has to have a heart. And uh, I think that comes through with his love for the opera and certainly the sequence where they're at the opera. And they go to the opera together. I mean, it's funny because when he says to her, you know, like all I want is one night with you at the opera, and then I'm done. Like you don't have to. You can do whatever. I, I'll I'll leave you alone forever. And you're like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Like 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 no. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> but but he he feels earnest at the time. Um, And it's a really sweet moment with them uh, discovering each other on the steps of the uh, or by the fountain at uh, Lincoln Arts Center. Um, And it's 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 really nice. I, I also thought it was cute, too, when uh, he when he when they're setting up the date and he says, like, I'll meet you at the Met. And she has to come back and be like, where is that? Like, you think New Yorkers know where everything in New York is, but she's lived in New York all her life and she's never been to the Met. She has no idea where it is. I thought that was pretty, pretty uh, fun little line there. Um, What about other, and see, for me, it's like, it's weird too because I'm not watching this as it comes out. So I have no idea. I mean, at the time I was, I was interested in Nicolas Cage because I was liking what he was doing as well. In a lot of ways, he was really like one of the big faces from the eighties to come out of the eighties for me uh, because he just seemed to symbolize that. And, and uh, you know, outside of those people who were in John Hughes movies, <laughs> there was like Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. He was like the bad he was he was like too crazy to be in a Nicol and a John Hughes movie. <laughs> um but let's talk about some of the other characters. Uh, this is full of a lot of other interesting characters, fun characters to watch. Uh Ashley, was there anybody else in the in the cast that uh that really um uh resonated with you?
1: Yeah, I really liked um, Loretta Cher's character, her mom, I thought was a really interesting role and just kind of watching her that the idea of Cher and Nicholas Cage's characters have a new love story, but the mom and her dad, they're older and they've kind of grown apart and to seeing some of the, the grief the mom's dealing with because of that. I really liked at the end where she's kind of stands up for herself. Like, I know what you're doing and I want you to respect me. So I, I kind of enjoyed that. I was really worried though, that breakfast time conversation. I thought this is going to get really ugly, but actually everyone kind of took it well and rose to the challenge. And a lot of things were discussed and people made progress. And again, another interesting choice. I thought they made like Johnny having be the sort of quote unquote romantic rival, You know, a lot of times in a rom-com, like the other boyfriend will turn out to be like, oh, he was a jerk or things like that. But really he was just kind of like a regular guy and they weren't, they just weren't right for each other. So kind of working, working through that relationship. I also enjoyed the aunt and uncle. I thought that was really cute how the uncle was talking about the moon and how like they were just still in love after all this time. So I thought they were really sweet, fun characters. So I, I enjoyed the scenes they were in.
3: Uh, Mike what about you
2: So many different characters were really awesome In this one Um, Olivia Dukakis was just awesome Mm -hmm. As the mom She was awesome And I loved it Do you love them yes oh too bad yeah.
3: Um, yeah. <laughs> that just makes it worse <laughs> the, 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 the first time though the first time when yeah. she asked like she like do you love him and she's like no i you know i don't love him good because then that, yeah. that's uh, like that's the that's the way it should be with me because if you love it like then everything goes wrong but um uh, i think that's why we have like we're not really you know we we are with Cher and or i should say Loretta and Ronnie as their relationship develops, because we know that there's no love between Loretta and Johnny,
2: right? No, it's... Johnny is such a baby. Cher was, you know, she was doing everything for him. You know, you even have to get down on your knees. You have to give me a ring. You know, everything. And it He was... didn't
3: even bring a ring.
2: No, to propose to her. <laughs> he He was an idiot. He was a total idiot. And now that his mother survived, you know, it's like. I can't marry you. You know, it's just like, because he needed, he needed, he was going to ask Loretta to marry him because he needed another mother figure Mm. in his life yeah, and everything. And it was just interesting. Good call. Yeah. And it was just, it was just interesting. Perry, you know, Fraser's dad, John Mahoney. Yeah. Which was awesome to see. And a lot of people also knew him at that time from, uh, what was it? The, uh, movie where um he was the father in say anything
3: oh yeah yeah and well he just started i think in suspect with uh share that year as well so mm-hmm. and exactly. i don't think he played a very nice man in that if i remember correctly but
2: no but you know he loves getting water thrown in his face i will say that he has a history <laughs> of it and everything it's and interesting
3: because he seems like such a jerk right like you're seeing him and then Uh, And then it's that weird sort of thing that you're like, this only happens in movies, right? Where uh, uh, Rose has dinner with him and it turns out to be, even though she's hurting and he's a jerk, it's just kind of this interesting, fascinating dinner. You're kind of like, I was kind of like, you know what? I don't really care to go back to the opera and watch the other two. I'm like, I'm more interested in this like dinner here. Like this is really interesting.
2: But it was interesting the whole time at the opera, you were just waiting till, you know, basically oh, Reda yeah. saw her father. Oh, it yeah, was just, yeah. It was just a matter of time. Inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was funny as heck. And, you know, even when you had Ronnie right next to him at the bar and everything, when they were getting drinks – 'Cause they didn't know each other from Adam. Yeah. So it was nope. it was awesome. I also love the grandfather. The grandfather was Oh
1: yes. Up. He's so charming with his dogs and
2: Oh God, that's gonna be me in thirty years. This you yeah. <laughs> <It's just laughs> your future. Uh, that is me in the future.
5: Michael, go
2: Mike, go walk the dogs. Hey, what are you talking about, Judy? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah, that's gonna be me walking thirty dogs at the same time or something like that. So I could see it happening, but yeah, the characters were awesome, and my God, when they were at the bakery and it was just like all that food, it was just like, oh, I'm starving. <laughs> it's like I want to be there. You ready? can't,
3: you can't have a movie about or story, I should say, about an Italian family without food being mm-hmm. like integrally integral part of it, right? I mean, even in The Godfather, it's like all over the place. It's just, yeah. I, yeah, we talked about it there. It's like you watch these movies and you come out going, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry for pasta now. Yeah, it's a-
2: <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. And it was a fun film. And just every character had, a, it felt like each one of them had their own backstory. It was like they had a life. It wasn't just like they're popping in or nothing. And so it was pretty cool. And we got to watch it last night and it was a full moon. It was the harvest moon. (laughs) The moon was so huge. It looked like a pizza pie in the sky. (laughs) It's a mori. What can I say?
3: Well, I just uh, agree with everybody, uh, all your thoughts on that as well as the crowd. And and give a special shout out to, um, man, I miss Danny Ayao. He is such a presence in a lot of movies. And usually he plays a guy that, usually I see him play heavies. Uh, And it was nice to see him just, I mean, effectively play this guy who is just stumbling over himself. He's kind of a, 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 a lonesome, nerdy guy uh mama's boy if you will doesn't really know what to do uh not really confident and i think he pulled it off really well i mean i've seen denny in other movies and in other roles and he plays like somebody who's really overconfident sometimes even violent and he plays that really well as well so this this is a different role for him but it really works um really works i thought and then Like I said, a lot of the a lot of the uh, or at least two of the performances were Oscar worthy. Uh, Both Cher and Olympia Dukakis won the best Oscar uh, that year for those. uh, So all the all the women acting awards went to the Moonstruck crew. This is directed by the great director uh, Norman Jusen, who um, has done so many amazing movies. Uh, I don't know if we've covered any of them before i don't think so uh but he has uh he did the cincinnati kid um in the heat of the night was his thomas crown affair the original not the one with pierce brosnan um he did the movie adaptation of fiddler on the roof as well as the movie adaptation for jesus christ superstar uh and justice for all soldier story agnes of god Goes on to make uh, movies. I think he, he, uh, last one he did was in 2003 called The Statement. And, uh, unfortunately, I do not, oh, he's still around. So he's 96. Good Lord. So, uh, if you're listening to this, Norman, awesome job. <laughs> uh, he's been nominated for Best Director for three times. Uh, Moonstruck was one of those times, but he has not, it, 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 it's an award that has eluded him. So, uh, he should get a special lifetime achievement award, which I think he might have, but I'm not sure. So, uh, but uh but yeah, he's a great he's a great director and I think, you know, there's nothing fancy here. There's no like, you know, stylized shots or anything like that. But I, it's just really nice and I think it almost has a tender touch to it.
1: Yeah, it's a really great character piece and just one of those that makes you feel nice while you're watching it. Yeah, oh, very I'm, much so
3: I'm thinking in particular of the scene where Cher's walking back from her uh morning after and uh kicking the can around. It's just a nice little scene uh it gives us a little bit of insight into Cher, a little Cher's character a little bit. It's just a nice scene um and and the movie is is sort of corny uh all the stuff that's happening with the moon the moon doesn't look real it doesn't, <laughs> like it, <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like it was drawn up there and hung from strings or whatever but it it gets the point across and it's just kind of a a feel good movie mm-hmm. uh and a feel good sequence when that happens and um um and uh anything else about the movie that that uh struck you
1: Ashley No just uh it's always interesting to watch movies that were made um years ago to see how well they held up. And while this movie definitely is a product of its time, like this is very obvious in an eighties movie. It doesn't necessarily feel dated. Like I still enjoyed watching it. It felt like a capsule of its time. And I thought the feelings between the characters and the family drama that still felt relevant, something that could happen today. So I I think that it's aged, it is aged well and still worth watching today.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Mike, any
1: other thoughts?
2: No. it This can easily also be made into a play very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those type of stories. And like Ashley said, it is ageless. It could be made now. It could be made 50 years ago, 60 years ago. There wasn't anything that, you know, dated it. And that's the cool thing of a great story. And it was a ton of fun. And I'll probably watch it again in another 30 years or so. You know, it'll be good.
3: <laughs> I will also say that the uh, soundtrack was pretty nice as well. Uh, all the excerpts from uh, Laboim, um, which is, I'm not a huge opera fan, but uh, I did appreciate the music there. Um, in fact, uh, Michelle wasn't watching the movie with me, but she came out and she was like, where's that beautiful music coming from? And I was like, it's this movie, Moonstruck. And she's like, oh um and uh, of course can't go wrong with uh you know bookending it start to finish with uh dean martin with that's amore right mm-hmm. i mean that's yeah. like that's like the ultimate like i mean that's sort of it's like a perfect actually like if it wasn't called moonstruck i would think that the perfect title for this would be like that's amore because it's yes. just sort of like mm-hmm. that's love what are you gonna do like that's what love you know that's what love's like so um overall Very good, very good movie. Uh, Very good feel-good movie, uh, which we don't have nearly enough of, Ashley. So thank you for selecting this movie for that alone. So we don't have to deal with, like, like drama, any more drama than we (laughs) deal with anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was nice. And, um, I don't know, I hope, I know that there's a few uh, romantic comedies that are on the docket to be released in the next uh, few months. One with George Clooney and uh, uh, Julia Roberts, I think, is is the one that I'm uh, the one that I'm immediately thinking of. I think there's another one with uh, Jennifer Lopez as well in somebody, but I can't recall what that one is, is, was called or whatever. But it's a nice when when it's done well, which this is done well. I think it's nice, and I and I think we could use more of them actually. So I hope it's something that uh, they uh, that does succeed, um, and we get more of these. So. But that means we'll probably get a re- remake of this, right, or a series or something. Moonstruck series. Oh yep. The series. yep.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so um, I'm surprised it wasn't a Moonstruck Two. You know, like a uh, the Moon Strikes Back or I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like
2: Revenge of the Moon. <laughs> exactly. Damn anyway, of Moon.
3: <laughs> anyway, uh, for those people who haven't checked out this movie, if you're watching our review or listening to us, um, if we haven't spoiled it enough. Actually, it, it, you know, we've, we've talked about it, but it's just a feel, it's, it's a really a feel good movie. So, um, I think, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So I hope so. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks Ashley for, for picking this one.
1: Yeah, I, it was just kind of a, a random pick and it, I think it worked out really well. I really liked it. Glad I got a chance to see it.
3: So thanks, uh, for that pick. And, uh, yeah, uh, right after this. man.
2: When the moon hits your eye Like a bigger pizza pie That's amore When the world seems to shine Like you've had
5: too much wine That's amore In the Cosmic Pizza Podcast Your pizza delivery guys Dan, Sean and Paul Serve you a slice of life we talk to women in comedy, voice actors, film directors and producers, authors. We also talk about conspiracy theories, the Muppets, our top three films of the decades, famous people we confuse with each other, and our favourite stand-up comedians. We have recast Star Trek The Original Series and Babylon 5, and created our alternative superheroes. But most of all, we have had so much fun doing it every two weeks. Two weeks! Cosmic Pizza Podcast is not about the cosmos or about pizza.
2: Welcome back. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment, and we are joined by our friend, the great and wise Golf Gray from Beer Nuts Productions. Welcome back to Earth Station One, my friend.
5: Hey, thank you so much for having me on, and and you are quite right. I mean, I'd like to argue that I'm not wise and I'm not great, but it would be (laughs) redundant, so I'm not going to. So yes, but no, thank you for having me back on the show. I only
2: speak the truth, my dear friend. I only (laughs) speak the truth.
5: That's why, have... like it, That's why I like you, because you deal in facts. That's why I like your style.
2: No, I thought it was just because we, you liked it that we stroked your ego so much and, you know, tried to raise <laughs> you above all else and everything. But it is great to have you back. And you have a fantastic new project coming from Beer Nuts. Uh, it's called The Kidnapping. You want to tell everyone about it?
5: Absolutely. So, yes, it's a a, a brand-new short film that Beer Nuts Productions has done, but it's a little bit different. So it's a bit of a dark, romantic comedy where uh, I kidnap a young lady and uh, things don't quite go to plan, shall we say. But uh, you think of it, like I said to you in my email that I sent you a little while ago, think of it as if I wrote Notting Hill. I think that's probably the best way to describe it, perhaps.
2: (laughs) That's not a bad way to put it. That is actually a really good way. But it's interesting. This is very, very... Let me rephrase this. You are, you always have great videos. You always have great stories, but usually you're like the narrator or you're the, like the, you know, the, the, basically the person, you know, doing like, this is who we are. This is what we're doing, setting the scenes for everything. This one, you're actually right in the middle of everything and so dialogue heavy and between you and this actress and the chemistry between you guys is amazing. It's really oh, good.
5: Th- thank you very much. Yeah, so Courtney did. I thought Courtney was outstanding, and she, yeah, yeah, we rehearsed a lot. Obviously, as you could imagine, we would have to to get the uh, the back and forth happening like we needed to. But yeah, she crushed it, Courtney. She was really cool. So, and then there's the little cameo by Kale as well, who's been in a few of my other films. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, Courtney, uh, Courtney really does steal the show. She was great. It was. Uh, I think this is about the sixth Beanuts film that she's been involved in. And so I I like working with her because she always does an outstanding job. And as you say, it's very dialogue heavy because obviously she's been kidnapped. She's sitting in a chair. There's nowhere for her to go. So uh, it's all all dependent on her delivery of her lines as to how good the film is going to be. And yeah, she crushed it. So I was super happy.
2: That's awesome. And it's interesting too because, you know, You could feel it, but the story, it progresses nicely and, you know, you go from antagonists to starting to, it softens as the story goes along. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's going to watch this because it's worth watching folks. This is, you know, and it's neat because you could also say this is a maturity for you as a filmmaker and as a writer to you know for your productions because the first couple stuff you got that we've seen by you and everything were good they were fun but this actually takes it up to the next level and everything
5: oh well thank you very much yeah I always I always like to keep my projects different in some kind of way some kind of how you know so even though uh, I've done quite a few mockumentaries and stuff in the past they've always been different in regards to either the way they've been shot or the way the story's been told. And this is, again, I, I, the last thing I want is someone going to the Nuts Productions website and going, oh, man, it's exactly the same as the last thing he did, you know? So I always try and make a conscious effort to make everything a little bit different. And with this particular project, it's quite funny. So it's almost like I'm doing a comedy by request now because – I had a friend of mine, Donna. Now I've used uh, Donna's office and house a lot in my films. She's a good mate of mine and she lets me invade her space a lot for filming and uh, and I actually rented an office from her for a while. So, but um, she said to me, "Goff, I really like your stuff. It's really funny, but when are you going to do a nice romance for the ladies? You know, we're ladies, you know, we don't like all the fart jokes all the time. Give us a bit of romance. And then I had uh, another friend of mine said you know what Goff? I reckon you'd play a good villain you need to be a villain in one of your films so I thought when I when I thought about writing something new I was like okay well we'll do a romance for Donna but I need to play the villain so how can all that come together and the obvious answer to me was a kidnapping so a romantic comedy (laughs) that's like I say a little bit dark and twisted uh with a with a kidnapping at the center of it
2: that is awesome. And it, it works perfectly. And it the twists you have in it is really fun. And, you know, so what do, tell me about the process. How long did this one take to make?
5: Yeah, so it's quite funny. So even though <clears throat> excuse me, even though there's only uh three actors in it, um, it still took quite a while because uh, whereas I usually have quite a few actors and stuff and so I'm rehearsing with him on one day and them on another day and all that sort of stuff this time even though there was less people there was a little bit more involved because there was more rehearsal time that was required because obviously Courtney and I especially needed to have our back and forth really really down so yeah even it took the same amount of time it's just that the focus was put in other areas let's say so yeah so it's quite funny in that regard so yeah, still still about a 12-week process to get it done. And obviously the writing of this one was a little bit more tricky because uh, I did have the goal of not having a cast of thousands in this one, not for any other reason than I just thought, if we're going to do a romantic film that's based around a kidnapping, we can't really have, a, you know, a massive cast or anything. So <laughs> I, I wanted to keep it all, you know, as succinct, as I could as well so that obviously is a bit of a challenge when it comes to to writing but um yeah I like I say I wanted to keep everything a bit different so that was that was another goal but yeah in regards to timeline around the same just focusing in different areas
3: I uh uh when it seems like you just churn these out like one right after another one right after another um and I wonder where in the process are you like as you're promoting this one, like do you already have the next one already like written and or is it in pre production or how how far ahead are you
5: uh well, to answer that question uh as soon as I get off the uh, the zoom call with you fellas, I'm going to do uh the first rehearsal with the actress for the next film so there you go wow. uh, yeah, so the kidnapping was released, I reckon. Uh, first week of August, I reckon, or second week of August. Uh, so now we're at the, halfway through September, let's say. So, yeah, so as soon as the kidnapping uh, got released and uh, I could tell that, you know, it wasn't going to bomb and people were liking it and it was going to mm-hmm. make a bit of money and I had uh, was able to budget the next film out, then, uh, yeah, we uh, I started getting to work pretty much straight away. So, yeah, what, what I do is... Um, my work schedule, I don't do a lot of sleeping, sleeping's for the week, so <laughs> I, uh, I, do, I do a lot of my writing kind of after hours, so once it gets to about eight, nine o'clock at night, that's when I sort of focus on writing, because obviously I won't get interrupted with emails and phone calls and that sort of stuff, so I can do a, a bit of a solid block of, uh, of writing, so plus for some reason, I don't know what it is, maybe some kind of, uh, somebody could tell me one day, but I seem to be more creative when the sun goes down. If you were to sit me down first thing in the morning and say, write something, I wouldn't be able to do it. My brain's not working. But for some reason, as the day goes on and goes into night, I seem to get more creative. And as the nighttime rolls around, it seems to be the ideal time for me to do my writing. So, yeah, I'm always working on something somewhere, somehow. So, absolutely.
2: That's pretty awesome. That is awesome. Cause it, it feels like you put, you're now putting out probably like three films a year or so.
5: Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. So last year we did three this year. Uh, I plan to do three plus obviously I've done uh, two audio downloads, like uh, not podcasts, but like written comedy sketches that people can download. And I've also got the podcast as well, the weekly podcast that I do as well. So, um, yeah. So pumping out as much as I can in as many different areas again, so that people, whatever people's, uh, I mean, I know I focus on the comedy genre, but whatever people sort of like is whether they prefer audio or video or, or they, they prefer a certain style of comedy, hopefully I'm catering to it. That's uh, that's my goal. So yeah, absolutely.
2: That is awesome. And you know, of course, how can people find you my friend?
5: Absolutely. So yes, uh, com is where people can download. So this is our 27th film. So they can download wow. all the films Yeah, from uh, from BeernutsProductions.com. Plus, like I say, the audio downloads. Uh, the podcast is all over the podcast networks, but you can also listen to it off the website. So yeah, just, uh, and of course, the social medias, just type in beernutsproductions Productions into your, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, and uh, we will pop up and give us a like and a follow and a share. Uh, I'm not sure actually you fellas might be able to answer this Facebook have done a whole big new rebranding and I can't find any of the buttons that you're supposed to press to like and share things anymore. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe some folks out there can uh, message me and give me some uh, good Facebook advice. Cause uh, I hate when websites do that, but uh, that's it. just not
2: my... Facebook. Nobody needs it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a fan, to be honest with you. I really don't like it. I only use it for business purposes. You know, people people say to me, hey, Goff, do you see my thing on Facebook? I'm like, no, I have no time for that at all. I log in, put up my post and get out of there as quickly as I can. But in saying that, Nuts Productions is on Facebook so uh yeah give me a like and a follow and a share and you can keep updated with all the films and uh, all that sort of stuff but yeah the kidnapping uh, people are really enjoying it which is fantastic i'm so pleased that you fellas uh, got a bit of a chuckle and enjoyed it as Absolutely. well and, uh, yeah yeah com to answer your question mike
2: awesome sir thank you as always for joining us and you know what folks definitely check it out it's definitely worth it all right folks let's go and take a break and we will close up the show. I'm
0: crazy, but that's how it goes. Millions of people as for- Welcome to a Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host Angela, and this week this Geek Girl is talking about the announcements from D23 for Star Wars and Marvel from this past weekend. So we got some great Marvel and Star Wars announcements at D23, many we already knew about, but we either got trailers for them or release dates, which we didn't already know about before. And we also got to see some new stuff that we hadn't heard about yet. Now let's start with Marvel. We got a trailer for Werewolf by Night and a release date of October of this year for the special, and it'll air on Disney+. Plus. Audiences at the Marvel panels also got to see footage from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Ironheart, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, The Marvels, Daredevil Born Again, which also has a new logo, which looks really cool, Echo, Loki Season 2, Anthony Mackie came out and talked about Captain America: New World Order, and we also got the announcement of Matt Shockman as director of the Fantastic Four movie. You may remember him if you watched WandaVision, since he was the director of that show as well. We got cast announcements for the Thunderbolts movie, which is really interesting pick of characters for this film. We have Yelena, Ghost, Taskmaster, Red Guardian, U.S. Agent, Valentina, and Bucky, which is an interesting group, and I really wonder if we're going to see Zemo in this at any point. There was also a trailer for Secret Invasion, which has me really, really excited for this series, and also just shows us how tired Nick Fury is after trying to save the Earth for the last decade. On the Star Wars side, we got a trailer for Tales of the Jedi, an animated series that will have different shorts talking about the backgrounds of different Jedi characters like Ahsoka and Count Dooku. I think this is really smart because it'll give people who haven't seen the Clone Wars cartoon to actually, like, learn who Ahsoka is and learn some background about her before the Ahsoka show starts. We have Star Wars Skeleton Crew, which is a show set in the Republic timeline and focuses on a group of children who are lost in space. We got a trailer for Mandalorian Season 3, which has me really, really excited for this show because the scenes between Mando and Bo-Katan and baby Grogu are just really exciting, and I can't wait to see them in context of the show. Young Jedi Adventures, another animated show focusing on Jedi younglings, and I'm guessing Yoda, who's training them because he is in all the promotional material. We also got announcements for the new Indiana Jones film, as well as a trailer for the Willow series that will be airing on Disney+. Plus. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different
2: So that's going to wrap up another episode of the earth station one podcast. I want to thank Ashley for picking this one tonight.
1: Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. It's kind of nice sometimes to take a break from all like the rush of all the newly releasing movies and TV shows and just go back and watch something for the first time that was made in the past. So I, I enjoy any chance I can to get to do those.
2: No, it's pretty awesome. It was a lot of fun to be able to revisit this and see, you know, the story again from a different side. It was pretty cool. Anything you want to shout out about tonight?
1: Yeah, I would just encourage people. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in all the new movies and TV shows, Marvel and Star Wars and all that coming out. But if you get a chance, and I need to be do better about this too, go back and watch something that you've always wanted to see that you haven't gotten a chance to watch because there's been so many great movies and things that have been made throughout the years that um, I know that I haven't got to see and I don't want to miss out on. And I think it really adds to the richness of your experience as a movie reviewer if you've kind of seen how Hollywood has evolved and developed over the years. So I know there's a lot of content to keep up with and I, I'm behind. But yeah, I think it's well worth people's time. Go just go check out a classic movie and whether you like it or not, I feel like it's an interesting experience because even if you don't like it, it's a chance to ponder about like, what didn't I like about this? What do I like less about this than maybe some movies I've seen now? So I think it's a really valuable experience as a film fan. So yeah, go, go check out some more classic movies.
3: That really awesome. awesome. Is Ashley telling people not to watch Star Wars stuff?
1: No, I, I, know, I didn't. Yes. I did not oh. imply any of that. No, please hey, watch Andor. wait, this Andor. is this is
2: recorded. This is recorded. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> did, did, did,
3: I, did, did I check I, I? had checked my earphones. I was like, did my headphones? Is like, did
2: you? I know. I say thought that? there was like. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did everyone go watch Andor in a couple weeks on Disney Plus? But also a classic movie. So.
2: <laughs> and you should have put it in an and. Well, you That's said, right, and and. Yeah. Okay. We don't,
1: don't come for me, George Lucas. <laughs>
2: this will go into our next promo. Don't watch Star Wars. Oh, by
1: gosh. Yep. <laughs> Add that to the list of wacky things I've said over the years. <laughs> Ashley says, podcast.
2: don't watch it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and, Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend.
1: We
3: did. And as always, it's my pleasure.
2: Anything you want to shout out about, sir?
3: Absolutely. Last week, I shout out to uh, many people I could to making uh, Dragon Con weekend the wonderful weekend that it was. Uh, but this week, it's sort of adjacent to that. Um, I want to uh, also uh, give a special shout out to everybody who supported. The Dragon Con Report, uh, while we were recording and when we were releasing them throughout the year, those episodes, we're getting ready to record our final episode, our wrap-up episode of the Dragon Con Report in a few weeks. And that's always a lot of fun. But uh, it, um, you know, it really, seeing some people come up to me during the convention, one person even wearing a shirt with the Dragon Con uh, Report logo on it, uh, talking about how much they really meant, Uh, How much the show meant to them to help prepare them for the convention weekend was really uh, inspiring to hear our um, social media, uh, according to the reports I was looking at just the other day, we reached over 2000 people in that weekend with our uh, posts and uh, on Instagram, on a Facebook and everything like that. So that really means a lot to us that uh, you guys are taking the time and, and we are producing something useful for you guys. So uh, I really appreciate that anybody who's listening to the Dragon and con report. And if you've got suggestions on how we can make it better, um, uh, please reach out to us because we're always trying to improve it. Uh, after we record the next one, we're going to take a break and we're going to regroup and uh, before we tackle Uh, the DragonCon 2023 report. Um, We're also uh, looking for, uh, you know, assistance any way we can get it. So uh, we really appreciate you guys and all the support you give us.
2: Very much. It's always nice when people come up to it. I'm going to piggyback on that real quick. Because Thursday when I was doing the newbie tours and such, um, some of the people on my tour said, we really appreciate the DragonCon report. We were actually listening to it on the way up here. Or, you know, we, I had people, because I was wearing the T-shirt and everything, um, and people would see it. Pe- more people actually said they knew me from the Dragon Con report at the con than they knew me from ESO or, or Station Who or the, some of the other stuff. A lot of people still said, you know, thank you for all the things you do. But it was interesting. This is the first year the Dragon Con report got so many views or so many people commenting and such. And the cool thing about that is I think it was our transition to video. I think it was the quality of Mike's hosting and the ideas he's been coming up with. But I think it's been a combination of everything. And I think it's finally paying off. And thank you, everybody who's been listening and commenting and everything. It was a great, great feeling. And, you know, it's one of the best feelings in the world when somebody does that. Um, but one of the not nice feelings is COVID. And folks, some of us, we're not so lucky coming out of Dragon Con. Um, Thursday night, I tested positive for COVID. And I had not been feeling well since Dragon Con. Um, at the con itself, I started having a sore throat and just steadily started coughing and started getting you know sneezing and everything and by Thursday I had like a 101 fever. Judy at first thought it was just allergies or something and because we were fully masked we were the only time we ever took off masks is when we were outside or when we were sitting at a restaurant and any of the restaurants we sat at were not around people we made sure of that and you know we shared a room with other people and we you know shared a room with Judy of course but. Luckily, none of them have, you know, tested positive, which is wonderful. Friends we saw at the con, none of them tested positive. So I'm glad I was the one who took the hit because out of everybody, I have the strongest immunity. I have the strongest, you know, constitution and everything. And so far I've been able to handle it fairly well. You know, there's a couple days of feeling like total crap. I'm not going to lie about it. And anyone who says, oh, it's just a cold. No, folks, it's so much more than a cold. And, you know, I felt like crap for three, four days. Today is like the second day I've actually felt human. And I almost canceled this because I was worried my voice wouldn't be up to it. And I've been, for those who were watching the video of this on YouTube, which is now available, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And, but, you know, for those who will see that, I've been guzzling water to keep my throat hydrated and everything, and it's you know, I know p- other people who got it also at the con, and they were equally as safe, but when you have sixty five thousand people and only a quarter of them are wearing masks, you're g- people are going to get infected. It's just a fact, and you know, that's just irresponsibility, a lot of it and everything. But I'm glad I was at Dragon Con. I had much more of a great time being there than the negatives that came out of it or such. So it's a plus. And you know what? Take it seriously still, folks. It hasn't gone away. It really hasn't gone away. And in some ways, you know, I've known people who've gone to the hospital since Dragon Con because of it. Because they weren't fully vaxxed. That's the truth. And you know what? Don't Don't laugh it down. Don't look away from it. You got to be smart about it and you're probably going whatever, you know, but that's fine. This is me preaching on my soapbox right now because I have it and I'm glad I have it now because I'm going on vacation in a month folks and if I got would have gotten it then, then you would have seen me pissed. (laughs) So there you go. But as always, thank you guys for listening. We do appreciate you. We love you guys. We always do and we appreciate everybody who listens weekly. And that you make it special for us to be here. And you know what? We're going to make it special for you guys to be here next week. Because, sadly enough, Ashley will not be here with us next week. But we are doing, you ready for this, folks? We are doing the 60th anniversary of the Jetsons next week. And you know what? The scary thing is the Jetsons take place in 2062. So we're only 40 years away (laughs) from the Jetsons. So that's even scarier. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we got a great crew lined up for it. And you know what? We definitely would love to hear you guys you know find out what you guys thoughts on on Moonstruck or the Jetsons or just what's going on in general. Please write us feedback at ourstation onecom Of course, we want to thank our patrons for helping us. We've gotten a couple of new patrons since DragonCon. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone um who's joined us and you know you guys helping us out, that's what keeps the lights on. Do it real easy. Patreon.com slash ESO network. And as always, thanks for listening to the earth station one podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at NSC tv.com. Remember, you could also find earth station one wherever fine podcasts are found, including now on you ready for this folks. We are up. Ready? Not just Apple, not just Google, not just Spotify, not just Stitcher. We are ready for this we are up on Pandora. We and Amazon, you know, you can, so, you know, we're all the places, all the big guys are. So all you have to do is look for Earth Station One. Thanks for listening. And you know what? On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ms. Ashley Pauls. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate you guys. We will see you guys soon. Take it easy. Stay safe, get healthy, and be well. Peace. And we are done. Boom. only one cough right in the middle of a good thing you've been listening to the air station one podcast a show by fans for fans if you enjoyed the show please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found while you're up there please rate us and remember to leave feedback it would greatly be appreciated and remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it